Welcome to the Risk and Repeat podcast, episode number 89. I'm Rob Wright, editor of Search Security, and I am here, as usual, with my site editor, Peter Lotion. Peter, welcome. Hi, Rob. Peter. Rob. We are in the podcast studio once again. We are here in Chernobyl. We're actually recording this on Monday, the 8th of January. We had uh, some inclement weather here in the uh, greater Boston area last week that prevented us from our normal recording. And maybe that was a good thing because, Peter, we had a major storm happening in InfoSec, not just weather-wise, but happening in InfoSec last week. And that is, of course, Meltdown and Spectre, two major, major vulnerabilities that were disclosed last week around modern microprocessor architectures. And when I say modern, I mean like last 15 to 20 years, like two decades worth of of processors, Intel, AMD, ARM, you name it. And it's bad, they're bad. And there's two different vulnerabilities. I guess I, I should start by summarizing what they are. So Meltdown and Spectre, they're two critical vulnerabilities. And to summarize the, the research site that disclosed these problems, uh, these hardware vulnerabilities allow programs to steal data, which is currently processed on the computer, while programs are typically not permitted to read data from other programs. A malicious program can exploit Meltdown and Spectre and get a hold of secrets stored in memory of other running programs. Basically, Meltdown affects Intel-based uh, uh, systems, Intel chips. Spectre uh, affects um, Intel and ARM, AMD, and you know it's it's not entirely clear if Qualcomm and other chip makers, smaller chip makers, are affected. There's been reports that Qualcomm is, but they're bad. They're they're bad. Essentially, these vulnerabilities are going to cause major diversions in the roadmap for modern processor architecture going forward, and that may be an understatement at this point. Meltdown breaks down, according to the web, the research website, uh, Meltdown breaks the most fundamental isolation between user applications and the operating system. This attack allows a program to access the memory and thus also the secrets of other programs and the operating system itself. Spectre breaks the isolation between different applications and allows the attacker to trick error-free programs which follow best security practices into leaking their secrets. That's Neither one of these are good. I mean, there's there's varying level, levels, I guess, of urgency uh, according to the, the research papers. And I should note, and this is amazing, we're going to touch on this in a, in a bit, Meltdown was, was, was independently discovered and reported by three different teams or, or people, entities. One was uh, uh, Jan Horn from Google Project Zero. Uh, another was two researchers at Cybers Technology, and then there were three or four other researchers from Graz University of Technology in Austria. And then Spectre, same thing, um, uh, Horn, and then another individual security re researcher, uh, Paul Coker, and then there was people from the University of Pennsylvania, University of Maryland, I mean, just a ton of people involved. And Paul, we should note, Paul, Paul Coker's pretty. Oh yeah, yeah. Like these are these he's not are just a researcher. No, these like, aren't just some random people. Like this, these are. I mean, yeah. Project Zero. Obviously, they have a number of talented people. Uh, most uh, well known among them being Tavis Ormandy, 
the, who I affectionately refer to as the Grim Reaper, when you hear him tweeting, uh, you know something bad's coming. But yeah, they, these are these are really well-known researchers. This was sort of, I guess, the groundwork for these discoveries was laid a while back. People started looking into uh, a number of issues with with uh, microprocessor architectures, and one of the issues was address space layout randomization, ASLR. People were looking at, you know, how data could be access from memory and you know through through chip design issues or flaws i mean it's hard to they're not bugs like these features and mike uh, michael heller our senior reporter and working on these stories these are not bugs in the classic sense right they're they're not they're they're attributes of the system that are unavoidable i mean i hate to say that yeah it's uh, well i guess in the case of of amd for we should note for meltdown, there's an issue with how a malicious actor could could a malicious actor could abuse speculative execution or out of order execution. And I, you know, for the sake of the listeners and the readers here, according to Google, uh, Google Project Zero, their report on this, uh, speculative execution is defined as quote a process a, a processor can execute past a branch without knowing whether it will be taken or where its target is. Therefore, executing instructions before it is known whether they should be executed or not. That's pretty incredible. Like, and I remember reading about this. I, I worked for a, a hardware enthusiast like Tom's Hardware many years ago, and this, you know, it, there was a lot of a chatter about this way back when, and even before that. I mean, this is something that has been in modern chip architectures for a long time. It's basically you're programming, you, you've designed the chip to guess, like where the instructions are going to go, like it, it, I mean, it's amazing. Like, and, and it was done for performance reasons. And AMD, the, all that sort of speculative ex execution or out of order execution. I guess they they relegated it or they created it so that it was an optional setting or you could configure it. So there's a way out of it with with AMD and Intel. There is no way. It's it's just there, and it's it's just remarkable. It's one of it's one of I don't want to overstate this. It's one of the more fascinating like developments for processor technology in recent memory i think but now there's this research that comes out and says oh by the way that thing you're doing to increase performance that's amazing by the way attackers can use it to steal memory to, to basically take data from you and the, the trick peter you don't even know what's happening there's no way to, to find out so these are bad these are bad issues and they're being fixed right now with patches to the OSs. There's not anything that like Intel can really do on the hardware side right now because you're talking about redesigning chips and it's bad. But Peter, what was your first reaction when you heard about this? Like when you saw the disclosures, you read about them, like what was, like, was it bunker time? You, you were gonna call me up and say, hey, that back, backyard bunker that you built, is there room for, room for more? <laughs> Well, see, I'm pretty sure that I've mentioned this before in this room uh, over the last... Uh, you well, are the calm, cool, rational one. So. Couple of well, the, the thing is, I read a book called Goodell Escherbach. I've, I've read it multiple times over the years. Yes. It's time for me to reread it because the, the bottom line is that in, in complex systems, 
there's no way to be provably good or provably secure or provably uh, if it the, the, the once the system gets to be a, a certain level of complication you can't assure that it's always going to be safe or that everything that you do with that computer or system will always turn out the way that your fundamental design statement says that it's supposed to turn out. So, um, and I, before we, before we sat down, one of the things that I was looking at was a review from, uh, from the New York Times from 1979 when the book first came out. They say nothing about computer security because it was 1979. People weren't talking about that. But then I read another more recent uh, write-up that referred to the book, Goodell Escherbach, I should say by, that it was written by Douglas Hofstadter, because that's who wrote it. Um, at the time, he was an assistant professor, I believe, at University of Indiana. Oh, okay. Um, he's gone on to, to do lots more since then, obviously. I mean, that was, uh, what, 40 years ago almost. But what's astonishing to me is how relevant that book continues to be, because in the write-up that I read uh, that came out more recently from 2015, and I, there was reference made to uh, one of the conversations that goes on in this very complicated book. The book itself is very complicated. Mm. It's very hard. It's a hard read, and I'd like to, you know, it would be great to get a book club going together to do you know, five pages at a time every week. So hey, because hey, hey, it let's is. Let's not get too ambitious. Yeah, yeah. Here. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm just saying it would be great if I could do that. But it, I'm not saying I want to <laughs> do that. Sure. Um, but one of the things that they mentioned, they talk about arms races. That that stuck yeah. in my head from the last 35 years or so since I read it first. But um, the example was two parties who are having an arms race. One one has a record player. For those who remember what a record player well now it's coming back vinyl so the record player and the records and one party provides records to the other party to yep. play on the record player the arms race comes around because the the person who provides the records is trying to destroy the record player so the person with the record player is trying to destroy the records before it can uh, destroy the record player so you've got this thing going back and forth and it just keeps piling up you have more and more yeah. complication, more and more uh, attempts to do different things, to try different ways to, to find ways to break the systems. It's pretty much directly comparable to what we're doing, what, we're, wh what we've got going on now is we've got a lot of people, both white hats and black hats and in between, who are looking for ways to break these systems. You know, if you're a researcher, you want to be able to break the system to show that, you're, that you've proved how this system needs to be updated somehow. Right. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, it's not even in question that there's a way to break every system. It's how is the breakage going to come about, and right. and you want to try to plug all the easy holes, e yeah. easy bugs. So that's that. You ask to go back to your question. What was I thinking when I first heard about this? That's exactly what I was thinking about. How we've got these very complicated things that are supposed to be that we keep throwing technology and techniques and, and algorithms and, and processes into to try to make them safe but that's ultimately there's always going to be a way yeah like you know life will find a way so will bugs I mean so you you said life will find a way that's what I was thinking like <laughs> I'm thinking Jurassic Park here I mean less sophisticated than when, what you were thinking um, or reacting to or 
But or, actually a really good analogy because because it is this big, complicated system that yeah. got well, go, went to Kerflui. Yeah. I mean, to, and, and I guess I should say, I know Intel's been getting beat up for this, and I, I think Intel's response to this was we, we can we can discuss that another time and they've come under criticism and I, I think it uh, at least partially justified but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and blame them like I know they've taken a lot of heat I, I, different people have said well why didn't you do what AMD did and make this an optional setting or configurable setting and I I just wonder what the justification would have been for something like that way back when why make it why make the the performance what would be the justification for having a setting that you would click on and, and it would make your computer run not as fast or a processor perform not as optimally it doesn't really make any sense to me i don't i you know i i don't have the history of microprocessor innovation in front of me i can't really th that was just my first reaction and i i think you're right to your point like the complex systems i, I think i tweeted this the other day but you know alex stamos when he when he did the keynote facebook CSO, when he did his keynote at Black Hat, he said, you know, we, we're dealing with complex systems. They're imperfect solutions in an imperfect world, and we punish people for making those imperfect solutions as, as if we're expected to, to, they're expected to be perfect. I mean, this, I don't even know how you would have anticipated that something like this could have been misused at that time that you were coming up with it. You know, and implementing it, and road mapping it, and designing it, and, and overhauling it, and perfecting it. It's just, it really is amazing to me. Which brings me to the next point, Peter. Mike has brought this up an, a, a couple of times, and I brought it up again today. Mike Heller, our, our colleague, is it this? Is it fair to call this a bug? Is, is it even fair to call it a vulnerability? I mean, I, I guess it is. It, it is a vulnerability, but it, it almost feels unfair. Well, just because it's an inherent part of the, the the chip design or the computer design doesn't mean that it's not a vulnerability. I mean, it could the the fact that it w works as it as was supposed yeah. to, as intended, as it was designed, and the fact that all of these computers that were working as intended um, all of a sudden over the last week became suddenly vulnerable to this thing doesn't mean that it's not a vulnerability. Sure. I, I mean, it, you, you can look at a, it, you can consider it a design flaw, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and even that, it's, it's, it's almost like saying that they did something wrong when they implemented it. I guess you could make an argument, and there, you know, there are a number of people out there that have, have argued this, um, uh, Torvalds among, among them, basically saying, like, you should have made this a configurable setting so maybe that was the design error in this case but I don't know again that just feels so hindsight 2020 like Monday morning quarterback it just well, I don't know let me ask you a question because sure. you've got a background you're, you're interested in gaming and yes you've built gaming computers yes um, and you know that you can overclock a CPU yes now given the fact that you can overclock a CPU by what's a reasonable amount to overclock. I mean, it by. depends on how, like, well, that's the, that's sort of the, the issue 
with overclocking and they, like Intel has done things in over the last decade to make overclocking easier and safer, but you always run the risk of you push that limit for how how fast your processor goes of it overheating and melting your your system, but you know, killing your system. But now if you had a, on the front of your computer a dial yeah. that goes up to 11, <laughs> of course. Of course. That is is a that indicates how like zero is no overclocking at all, just right. running it at the at the book rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And eleven is the top that you can go the yeah. most. Um, and it's right on the front of your computer. Yeah. How many people would leave that at zero? That's a good that, question. So that it's. It, I mean, I would I would turn. I mean, I guess, and I, I mean, not to. This isn't the answer you're looking for, but I think these days it's it's more you want to you, you want a more powerful, a faster GPU than you do a, a processor. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I mean, if you if you let, let's put this to like enterprises, if there was a dial on their machine that said you you can turn you can go up to eleven, but if you run it between nine and eleven, it it you run the risk of you know, killing the server? I don't know. I don't know. The The thing is that, so the other thing that I was reminded of was when I first started doing TCP IP networking a long time ago, yeah. I was directed to read the RFC for uh, TCP and IP and UDP. So the internet protocol originally as designed had a, a priority bit field, a priority not a bit, but a but it was a it was a field. It was maybe two bytes, two yeah. bits maybe. Um, you could give each of your packets a priority. So like oh, right. if it was really important, you yes. would give it a five. Yep. Or a, probably a seven. And if it was not that important, you give it a zero. Now, I, I was reminded of that recently when I started at Tech Target and we had a system that that asked you to assign a, an importance to your task and your, it's your and tickets. It's your tickets. Like it can go from one to five. And you told me, just set that at three, because nobody ever looks at that. <laughs> well, or, I mean, it's true. <laughs> but but the, the thing is that if you if you say you got to set this, everybody's going to set, because yeah. their traffic is the most important. So yeah. there's this, you know, that, that that's the only reason, the only uh, rationale I can think of to, assi to apply to why didn't um, Intel put in a, f a switch that you could turn this thing off. That yeah, that's so great that speeds everything up. Because why would you want to go slower? Yeah, but I mean, and let's uh, we should point out. Let's say they did. There's still Spectre to contend with. And Spectre, I want to read from the website from the joint research teams here. Make sure I get this right. Spectre is harder to exploit than Meltdown, but it is also harder to mitigate. So it's it's. Like they still would have been affected. Like the, these issues with processor designs, architecture, and how they deal with memory, they're still applicable. Like they, they still cause problems. Uh, that they still have Spectre to contend with, even if there was no meltdown. So I mean that that's how big this is, which is crazy to me. And you know, before we get into a couple more things, I wanted to ask you, were you? Because this is this podcast could go on forever. We're probably gonna have to table some parts of uh, the discussion. Maybe we can discuss the cloud implications, container implications, another time. But oh yeah, what was your feeling like? I know there there was a little bit of criticism I read on Twitter about the the researchers naming the vulnerabilities and and 
branding them with the logos and the website. Like we, we've talked about branded disclosure, vulnerability, uh, vulnerability disclosure a number of times and how, you know, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it always one or the other? How is it, you know, what are the problems with it? What was your feeling on that? If any vulnerabilities or flaws or whatever we're going to call Spectre and Meltdown deserve a branded vulnerability website and a Twitter feed and all the rest, I think these are the two that do. Justified. They're, they yeah. totally justified. Um, I think it's, I, I think they did a really good job even just naming them because they, they explain where the names come from. Yeah. Melting uh, the barriers between, yeah. And the specter of, yeah. you know, in the future, this is going to be haunting us. The, the fact remains that these are, um, they're, they're appropriately named. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're not rude or crass no. in any, you know, as far as we can tell no. in any language. No. Um, they're reasonably unique so that when you do a Google for Meltdown, I imagine that today you'll probably be sent to the Meltdown website. Mm -hmm. Um I think I was astonished by because because we're not talking about you know Microsoft having to patch Windows or Apple having to patch iOS. We're talking about dozens of <laughs> different companies that have to respond yeah, to this, yeah. and the fact and and open source projects. I mean, the Linux kernel. This this was yeah. this this was floating around and uh, across a lot of desktops over the last six or seven months, yep. and. And the fact that it only broke a few days earlier than it should have is pretty astonishing. Pretty remarkable, to me. yeah. Yeah, I think I, th I think that there's a lot of credit that needs to be handed out yeah, to the people involved. I would encourage the listeners to check out Mike Heller's story on the coordinated uh, vulnerability disclosure process on this, and just sort of people that know this stuff kind of weighing in on how, I, I guess impressive it was all things considered oh yeah so many parties involved but th so that's so this will be the last point because we're we're I, I think we're running out of time here but it w when i read that three different teams had sort of simultaneously worked on and figured out meltdown independent of one another and that some of those same groups in an even larger sprawl of people and, and entities had done the same thing for Spectre. I was, and my first reaction was, that can't be right. How did they all clue into this at the same time? And again, there was stuff that had been trickling out, you know, research and findings and stuff. Uh, there was a, a paper at Graz University, some of the researchers had, had put out about um, uh, KASLR and you know, the, the Kaiser patches. I mean, it, it's, there's a lot of stuff leading up to this. But Peter, did number one, did that surprise you that so many different groups were, were working on this and had, had sort of um, had, had clued in on this independently? I, well, okay. First, you know, they're not entirely independent because they're all sort of circling around the same ecosphere. Right, but they, 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 but they definitely communicated at some point, but... Oh yeah, but did, did they all kind of? Well, the the narrative that we've been getting over the last few years about about bugs and zero days, um, in particular from I want to say from government officials, telling yep. us that you know trying to point us to research that indicates there's not a lot of overlap across zero day t findings, but 
Um, so on the one hand, was I surprised that there were so many groups? Yeah, I would have to say I was. Um, and at the same time, uh, we had we haven't seen anything like this before. I mean, no. usually when, when these big bugs get found, it's just by one, usually by one group or maybe two groups that are working in the same area that start getting together on it a little bit. But um, yeah, that was the, the fact that there were all of these different people that were following the same research uh, clues independently is sort of, um, it's concerning. Yeah, yeah. No, so I want to read you something that I, I highlighted on Twitter. Uh, Andrew Brandt, uh, he's a threat researcher at Glucose-Symantec. He wrote, three separate teams on, on Twitter, three separate teams independently from one another discovered Spectre, and three discovered Meltdown at about the same time. It's reasonable, reasonable to hypothesize that a well-funded and capable threat actors might have also been working in this space and found this before now. It's a chilling thought, but I'm going to say something, Peter. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear this pessimism, but I almost think it's likely that that happened because if we know, especially with nation state groups, whether it's our own country or, or friendly governments or foreign enemy governments, they, they hear about this stuff. They hear about the research. They follow this stuff. They follow what's going on in the threat landscape, they hear about things that are trickling out about, oh, microprocessor memory usage and out of order execution. I mean, they, they do. And yes, yes, North Korea may spin up WannaCry ransomware based on, you know, the Shadow Brokers releasing Eternal Blue, great, great. But that's not to say they're not looking at other, like more serious things. And I just think that I'm, I, I, my, my, hunches that some someone probably already knows about one or more entities probably probably already knew about this stuff because I, i'm trying to remember where i read it and who or, or who said it in reference to some of the data that's trickled out about the nsa and about what they look into but like you think about hardware flaws hardware vulnerabilities i mean that's the mother load you can't change that you get I me mean, yes microsoft can patch uh, Linux can you know update. I get it. You can close close off your software to this problem, but the problem, the underlying problem, is still there. And they, maybe attackers find a new way to exploit it. So, I don't know. That was pretty chilling to me. Um, but I want to get your your reaction to one last thing, Peter. Sure. So, White House Cyber Security Coordinator Rob Joyce. He commented on the on the meltdown, and I think Spectre flaw. He said uh, specifically about the, the Intel meltdown flaw. He said the NSA did not know about the flaw, has not exploited it, and certainly the U.S. government would never put a major company like Intel in a position of risk like this to try to hold open a vulnerability. Peter, your reaction to that comment? Wow. Uh yeah. Wow. No, I, I saw it when it came out and I and my reaction was the same as it is now. It's like, wow, seriously, we the last time we heard from Rob Joyce recently was about uh, equities, uh, vulnerabilities, right. equities. Yeah, process. Yeah, yeah. 
And he kind of staked his reputation on it, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, he was very serious about it. Yeah, and 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 the the message that was attempted to be put across in that whole thing was that the U.S. government wouldn't do that kind of thing. Most of the vulnerabilities we find, we pass along. Yep. But um, the substance of you know the, the the message is that's the message. But the substance is, if a vulnerability is really exploitable and really juicy. And, and could be used to further U.S. Uh, national security interests, then they're going to... Like the, the, whole, the whole point of the process is they, they want to hold back the stuff that's good. Yeah. And I'm not convinced that the United States government or any of its agencies or contractors discovered it, nor am I certain that anybody else discovered it in any other APT or nation state or, or, right. or organized criminal organization. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if none of them had, and if en- if any of them had, I'd hope that we right. were in the in that small group too. Yeah. Um, all that said, I I don't believe Rob Joyce's statement that he, that the government would not hold that open and hold on to it for years. I I had a, like a like a coffee spit take when I read that. <laughs> I, I read that and I went. I, this has got to be a joke, and I think it was um, it was a Washington Post reporter, um, Ellen Nakashima, who did the story on it and tweeted it. And I read that, and I just I, j- I really did. I mean, like my eyes just kind of I I couldn't believe it because I'm the NSA did and the U.S. government did exactly what they're talking about with major major Windows vulnerabilities, Eternal Blue, all of the Eternal flaws that were released by the shadow brokers and oh by the way later used by cyber criminals and apparently nation enemy nation state hackers i mean they did exactly what rob joyce is saying they would never do and i guess we're going back to the point where we're pretending like equation group doesn't exist see no evil hear no evil speak no evil i i don't know i I don't know how he get he gets away with saying that given just recent history, very recent history of, of the government doing this sort of thing and holding vulnerabilities, holding serious vulnerabilities open. And uh, so I, I don't think that, I mean, those those words about not putting a company like Intel at risk, I mean, give me a break. I mean, what, so it's okay for Microsoft, but it's not okay for in, to put Intel at risk? That, that was absurd to me. That really was just mind blowing. But anyway, Peter. Before I start, you know, screaming it and jumping on top of the desk about, uh, you know, the government's hypocrisy on I, this. I've never seen you jump on the desk, though. It'll I'm, happen one of these days. Okay. All right. Get I'll, ready. I'll keep my eyes open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think, you know, there's a lot to talk about with, with Meltdown and Spectre, and I think we'll probably we'll probably save the cloud aspect because there are serious cloud virtualization container aspects of this and luckily most of the major cloud providers have uh you know patched or updated their system so that they can prevent this sort of data leak and memory uh abuse so but there's going to be serious discussions about that uh another time perhaps perhaps this later this week for for the next episode so i'll be here thank you peter and thank you for discussing meltdown inspector we were really starting off 2018 the right way Would would you agree i would agree I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is this is what our job is to, to cover this. Yeah, stuff, it's right? a little so freaky. It's a little. It is. It is pretty freaky. But I'm really glad that it didn't break 
the week between Christmas and New Year. Yeah, we should be thanks, yeah. thankful for small victories. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you once again, Peter. Glad to be here. And thank you to the readers and listeners of Search Security. I'm Rob Wright, and we will see you next time.